Hello everyone and welcome to another Top 10 podcast. This month joining me is 3-4, otherwise known as Richard. Say hello. Howdy, howdy. Um, so we've been talking a little bit off mic about nostalgia and um, coming up with a list. Your list then, I, I don't want to get too in detail on this now, so we'll, we'll go into it as we're going through, but was it easy to, to come up with and did you feel the need to change it at any point or anything? No, dead easy to come up with. I've got a lot of games that I've enjoyed over the years, or I thought were influential in in my gaming lifetime. Um, so I just pick, just cherry pick ones that are just there off off the top of my head, and just stuck them down. I could I could change them for a few other things, but I thought, well, what what's there's no real need there. They're they're sufficient enough. Yeah. So you weren't. I don't mean this as a criticism of anything or anyone, or because I, I I kind of am myself, but. No, you weren't precious about any of them. It wasn't like, no, this has got to be on, and this is it's, it's sort of like, yeah, this is this feels right. Maybe a couple um, that I think are still really good games today and were quite influential for the time and hit that nostalgia button. Hmm. You know, was right age, right time in the industry. Yeah, they might have become apparent a bit later on. Yeah, because it's something that other people have talked about is games that are from a certain period of your life are the ones that stay with you. Um, something you agree with, do you think? I mean, looking at your list, it seems, kind of seems that way. Yeah, yeah. It's Nostalgia plays a heavy part in, I think, making these lists. Yeah. Um, I think if the question was most influential games of all time, lists would probably be different and probably be a bit more of a commitment to your own opinion and, and a bit more of a debate, I think. Whereas when it's your own favourite... You can't really debate that. That's not everyone's personal favourites. You're not really going to pick on them for, for choosing a certain game or anything like that. Yeah. So um, the other question then is, are, is your list in order? Is it the, the no. one at the top? Right, so I could pick any to start with. Yeah, I mean, like like any media, when someone says, oh, what's your favourite? What's your favourite film? Depends on my mood. Yeah, it's, sometimes I'm in the mood for a comedy. Sometimes I'm in the mood for an action film. It just—it all depends. Yeah, it's hard to nail down that one specific thing. It just—they're just some of my favourites. So your your first game then is Final Fantasy VII, which is obviously one of these games that is hugely influential, hugely popular. Um, I guess why? So was that your your first? As it is for a lot of people, like kind of your first JRPG? No, I played. Uh, Final Fantasy VI with Chrono Trigger on the SNES both of those are, again they could probably creep into a top 10 list Yeah, uh, some of my favourites because I thought they were fantastic yeah, as well. Chrono Trigger is fantastic Chrono Trigger especially it's like, for a JRPG it do, I mean it does but it doesn't play like a conventional it wasn't like Final Fantasies and, and the the sort of um, when you're wandering around getting attacked it's like you could choose whether you want to Engage in the battles and things, and like the, the crazy zany characters and things they had in that game. Yeah, yeah that's not what what you talk about. Uh, <laughs> Final Fantasy Seven, that one, I think again played a part in. You could probably tell quite a few of my selections. That jump from two D to three D, and the level of quality in the sound and and the visual fidelity on screen. Yeah, a lot of my games, you could tell that that's quite a big part of like especially in my year my, my gaming time that yeah. was like oh yeah i could i could get to grips with games a bit more i wasn't just like i wasn't a youngster I, I, and i could play more older mature games and be that i think that was a really good time and final fantasy 7 with the, the the music quality the the fmv that was going on and 
like the the visual stuff like even though the the polygonal little sprites little, little the the pre-rendered backgrounds and things would just look beautiful i think even today they still look nice yeah and the fmv as well it's from an era that it's weird now because quite often fmv particularly playing on on pc the fmv is the worst looking part of the game nowadays whereas <laughs> yeah. back then it it's like if you got an fmv cutscene it was like a, it was properly like a reward like it was the best bits of the game was like you got yeah. to just sit back and watch this amazing looking video it was something playstation owners loaded over like nintendo owners with the cartridges it's like oh look at these FMV, these cutscenes these are amazing <laughs> that was like a big bonus to have in their games yeah and it's something Final Fantasy VII was kind of known for was a lot of the screenshots and stuff was with things taken, like say the the backgrounds and stuff. Not necessarily sort of in engine stuff. It was the the better looking stuff, and that's no issue with that. It was um, yeah, it was it was the good looking game, and it's weirdly that's the stuff that they makes it more difficult to. Uh, it's the stuff that ages it now because it's the stuff that can't be upresed, whereas the actual sort yeah. of in engine yeah. graphics can be. Like, the first time the, the camera swooped through Midgard, I was like, oh, it blew your socks off. Whereas you look at it now, you think, oh, that's a bit, mm, looks a bit nasty. Yeah. Um, so I did, because the, the thing with Final Fantasy always sort of leaves me is like the the summons and the job system and all that sort of stuff. Is that is that something you go for in, in RPGs? No, I think my times have changed. Uh, my, my tastes have changed. I haven't played a JRPG for, well, I played 15 because uh, that looked like what I, when I looked at it and I saw the big uh, summons and things and the big creatures wandering around <clears throat> in the open world, that was something that I, back then, even though I really enjoyed Final Fantasy VII, I kind of thought, oh, what, what could it be like in the future? How is this going to get any better? Um, and when I saw fifteen, I thought, oh, this looks like it could be it. Yeah. Well, wasn't quite to be, but it, it, it did enough to pull me in to try it again, but... Yeah, I think because my time's limited now. JRPGs and, and that, the, the grind and things you have to tend to do to uh, progress in those kind of games, I don't have time for. And I know people are laughing out there because I play Destiny, but that's, that's an exception. <laughs> I didn't realise, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, so moving on to your next one then. Um, this is one that someone else mentioned as well, actually, but Sensible World of Soccer. Hmm. So I was saying to them that this is... For my money, it's probably still Sensible Soccer, be it Sensible World or one of the other versions of it, it's probably still the most fun football game I've ever played. It is. I played a little bit recently just to, like, is this one of my favourites still? Or have I just played? It's still really fun. It just it still makes me laugh now when you go for a sliding tackle and the little guy just goes, just yeah, <laughs> flat out. Just, diving <laughs> headers where they go like yeah, 20 just metres. The animation. Um, there's not like passing assist, you have to be pretty accurate with your hits and be quick on reactions to pick up that ball and, and get it up to the other end and have a shot. Yeah. Um, but it's it's still just, because it's end-to-end stuff, um, it's, it's still pretty frenetic, fun football action. Uh, I didn't actually own this game, <laughs> such as I was back in the day. Uh, I, had, I took advantage of having friends and cousins that had these consoles, computers and, and games and stuff, and I played a lot of them at theirs, and this for one. My best mate had it, and I think my cousin had it, and... I used to go around a lot and just spend hours there playing with them. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what it, you kind of had to do, wasn't it, With when you were a kid? You maybe don't do it anymore. We I don't know if it just doesn't happen anymore because I haven't got kids or if it is just something that doesn't happen as an adult anymore. Possibly that I think this day and age we've got a bit more expendable income. We can afford those things for kids. Yeah. 
I don't know, probably speaking, for, for back then I, we couldn't really afford stuff. I think my probably said my first machine was a Spectrum. The first console we had was a Mega Drive one out of a, guess how many balloons in a car. <laughs> yeah. So it, I think the first console I actually bought was um, for me, specifically was an N64. Yeah. Yeah, because like, I talked to someone ages ago about this. It wasn't on a, a podcast or anything. Um, hand-me-downs. Where I, as a kid, like my my first console, so we had we had an Amstrad, which I think we got cheap, but wasn't second hand or maybe or I don't know. But then we had an Atari, which was like tenth hand or something like that. We had a, mm-hmm. a NES that was like third or fourth hand, and we had to give it back. Um, I think there was something else as well. We had a lot of stuff that was bought second hand. It's like oh, they've got the newer thing, so we're getting rid of this. And it was like a community thing almost that it's like the parents must have all got together and just kind of gone we're not keeping this stuff, we'll pass it on to this other family who can then use it. And it's like when we got rid of our Atari, it went to someone else and, and so on and so on. It's like like in uh, Mega Drives and stuff got sent to like cousins and, and things. And so if you were done with something, it got moved on. I, I wonder if that happens now or if people do just go, no, I bought my kid this. Or whether they are, you know, whether there is a, a, there's still kids that have just been given a, I don't know, a Wii U or a 3DS or a PS3, a 360, because everyone's moved on now to the new generation. I think it still does. Probably not to the same extent, but I think it still happens. Mm. Um, do, you, do you remember the days of Blockbuster renting? You could rent the console. Yeah. The Mega Drive and the PlayStation. Yeah, I did. Yeah, those, those were things I did. They're not around now, but you still see them on car boot sales and, and some stores, indie stores perhaps, have got retro stuff going on. Yeah, I guess if... If you're short of a console now, then the kid doesn't have a console, they have a tablet. And yeah. maybe they just take your tablet for a bit and you take it off them when they go to bed and use it when they need to use it. Um, that's all not relevant to Sensible World of Soccer. The <laughs> um, the question then, because when I was talking to the other person about it, was the thing they brought up was the uh, management side of it. Did yeah. you play about with that as well? Because uh, I didn't own it, I didn't get to go into too much depth with it, but we did like take it in turns doing some management stuff. And again, it just added like that little bit extra. It was like the early Final, Fan- uh, Final Fantasy, the early fantasy football team. Yeah, managing your own team, getting your own players. Yeah, it was good fun. It wasn't as in depth as like, your, your management games these days, but it it, it was something that it had over that the other stuff that was out. Did you used to correct the teams and the player names and everything? <laughs> no, but my, my friend was very anal at that. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, I think, because like I. I don't know if I would have it on my list, but it would certainly get close. Uh, like I said, Ildog had it on his. You've got it on yours. I don't know, maybe someone else has or, or would have. It's, a, it's just a cure. It's the... I think it's maybe the game on everyone's list is the one that's just like, this would not appear in other countries. Like, if this was a Japanese forum or an American forum, it just would not... Sensible World of Soccer would not get a vote. No, probably not. We different tastes for different parts of the world. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice that it's... Um, there's a bit of uh, idiosyncrasy, blah, a bit of idiosyncrasy uh, in amongst the, the the forum, I guess. Okay, so your next one is not like Sensible World of Soccer in that it's this like not obscure British thing, but a particular British thing. This is just universal. People like it. It's Mario sixty four. This is yeah. This is one of the ones I was talking about that probably also appear on one of my most influential. Yeah, as well as one of my favourite. Um, and I've still, I still play it, get it out and play it now and again today. It still, I think, plays brilliant. The first, this is one of the games where 
I was talking about I'd never owned a console. This is the first strop I ever threw. <laughs> <laughs> I'd went, I went to Toys R Us with my mate. He said, oh, they've got a playable Mario 64. Oh, let's go and have a look. And this was all the, all the major at this time was SAP, Society Against PlayStation, all that advertising, marketing, spinning. Everyone loved PlayStation. And I was eyeing up to get one, and I played Mario 64. And it's, it's one of the defining moments uh, in, in my video game career. It was, I just thought, I have to have this. This is revolutionary. This is amazing. And I'd gone to my parents and said, I'd, I'd filled out a registration form there, and then we had them knowing posted it in box. I said, I've, I've, I've pre-ordered an N64. <laughs> like, what? Just look, I don't want anything for my birthday. Combine Christmas and my birthday. And I'll have this, please. <laughs> I'm glad someone else used to do that as well, the, the combi present. Yeah. My brother backed me up and he said, oh, we've got to get this. And uh, I remember when we got it, I went uh, went home on the train. My brother and my mother came with me to pick it up. And they went to Meadowall to go and do shopping. And I was like, oh, I'm going home. Um, and I was supposed to go to, I used to do litter picking for Sheffield Wednesday to get a ticket to go and watch match. Um, and this is how much I wanted to play it. I skipped that. I pretended I was ill. I said, oh, no, I've got to go home. And I went home and put the N64 in, put Mario on and played it all day. My brother come home and like, oh, you can't get off. It was just something else. It was a game of its time. It was a game that did not really figure out how how to do 3D gaming properly yet, if you know what I mean. It, it, there was 3D games, there was pseudo 3D stuff, a lot of fixed cameras, a lot of pre rendered backgrounds, juddery motion. I mean, the analog stick played a major part for it. Yeah. Like, everyone knows, remembers turning lava like a penguin just to try and line up for that jump. Um, but as soon as you're playing Mario, it, it just felt right. It wasn't just the analog, the directional control. It was the sense of speed. Like if you pushed it a little bit, tippy toed. If you pushed it a little bit more, you did a little jog and a little bit more, and you went to a sprint. Because it had the kind of inertia of a Mario game. And it, I think did it did sixty four had the the kind of flip where if you went one way and then quickly changed direction and jumped, he kind of backflip or was that something? Yeah, yeah. So it yeah they they made use of the analog stick it wasn't just so like, there were some games that used the analog stick but it was still kind of eight way direction or 16 way it just it mm. wasn't true analog um, which maybe is, is better in some ways but yeah it it was obvious it was it's hard to state i think for people who don't remember it how important mario 64 was or how big a game like it i think probably wasn't as big as say super mario brothers 3 in terms of hype and stuff but it was it was an important game. It was a it was a landmark. I mean, if you a lot if you listen to a lot of developers' interviews or ask them like what inspired you in these with these early three D games that they'll cite Mario and a certain other Nintendo game on how the baseline, the foundation of three D gaming probably take for granted today that um obviously the the, the analogue stick and the, the use of the camera, you needed a camera control. Um and just the level design. And I still think it plays well today. I mean, some people might say Odyssey or Sunshine or play better, but they, they're still, it's still, it's not really changed that much. It's still pretty much like I could pick up any game, they'll still play the same in the way it handles and controls. Camera might be slightly better. It was a bit wonky back then. Hmm. <laughs> it gets stuck in places, but. Yeah, and just the com- when you look at the competition, there is, there is uh, an exception to this. And I'm not 100% sure on the history of it, but there was a, a game called Croc that was mm. actually built. The people that made Croc were hired to make Mario 64, and then they got fired, and Nintendo used what they'd done to make Mario 64. So then a couple of years later, they 
took what they'd used themselves and, and made Croc. Um, Croc's a decent game. I like Croc. But when you think that that's kind of it, because a lot of the stuff that when the Saturn and the PS1 came out, the platformers, obviously because platformers were huge back then, every game was a platformer. Uh, but it was stuff like Clockwork Night and Pandemonium and stuff like that. It was it was still 2D game design just with a, po- a polygonal character and like the camera might turn around the corner a little bit or something. Like Klonoa or something like that. It, it, it still, it's not like all of a sudden you had this huge 3D world to run around in it. That was still a really rare thing. Yeah, yeah. So I've, these two games are, are on my list. That they they kind of set the, the benchmark for how three D games are. That not just the uh, the three D characters, but the sandbox, the, the the area that you're playing in. Um, so Mario was it wasn't so linear. You had like little worlds that you you could get around, navigate yourself around. Um, different each time you went in, different objective. And it just it just felt more organic, um, more playful, rather than just like what you had, like you say, the games you mentioned and Crash Bandicoot and things that just felt they were they had three D elements, but they weren't true three D. Hmm. And in terms of Mario sixty four as well, one of the, the bigger changes I think was level structure, um, in that you what had always happened was you went through say game worlds, and so you'd be the forest world, and then the lava world, and then the ice world, and so on and so on. Whereas Mario used these paintings, and it felt like not necessarily shorter levels because it was a fairly slow game, but there was you weren't necessarily just doing eight lava levels and then going on. It I mean, that's my memory of it anyway. Maybe I'm wrong with this, but uh, it felt like th- there was more variety. Certainly, it's something that has come into games now. Is like Mario games in particular is you will get different types of levels in a row rather than just the same thing, just a slightly difficult or more difficult or longer or whatever version of the same thing. Yeah, well, you essentially had Peach's Castle, which was a hub world, and hub worlds use a lot of games these days, and each painting represented a particular theme world, um, and it had many objectives or stars to collect within it. Um, Each got progressively harder, um, but you didn't have to stay within that one. You could, if you got enough stars enough for progression you could open up a door which led to another room another area of the castle which had more paintings some were hidden some were fairly obvious um again you could you could choose to go into those and try those get a few stars there so you could essentially complete the game without actually fully finishing any of the levels if you got enough stars to get to the top so it offered um, a level of freedom in what you like to play and if you didn't like ice levels just get a few stars that you needed off of that and then move on Okay, then, so your next game, also uh, a, a, a Nintendo 64 classic, I guess, uh, Zelda Ocarina of Time. The other one that uh, probably everyone would guess it is, is it's touted as quite influential. Um, it set the bar for an action 3D game, and uh, like everyone talks about the lock-on, um, which is used still to this day. Um, but also that sense, again, that sense of freedom. It wasn't the first time I walked into Hyrule Field. That's a magical gaming memory. It's like, oh... I could go anywhere. Yeah, you know, that is massive. I can see that mountain over. I could get to that. You know that that back then that it sounds silly now, but back then that was just a just an amazing feeling because it, it tended to be quite linear, or quite enclosed. Mm. Um, and the, the sense of freedom it offered, uh, and, and and it was a magical game as well. It came out around Christmas. I remember it was November it was released, and I remember I got it for Christmas. What a what a what a time to play that game. It was snowing outside, and I'm just going on a little adventure with, with Link. 
Fantastic. Yeah, when you're not expected to go outside. Like if a game comes out in the summer and it's like, no, you're not supposed to be inside, you need to go out. It's, yeah. it's different in winter when it's like, yeah, of course you're inside playing games. It's miserable. I sort of have um, the opposite memory to you. Like I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Ocarina of Time uh, or Zelda games in general. But right, don't, the interview's over. Yeah, I was going to say, don't let that <laughs> colour what I'm going to say. My memory of it was... I remember, I remember watching my brother play it, and I think I, I tried playing it, and we, it's like it gets talked about as how it was this brand new alien thing, whereas I remember having to walk around a castle and be in a certain location at night, yeah, um, and that didn't seem strange, like as much as I don't think I can't think of a game I played that was the same that had this huge open world. I don't think I'd played anything like that. But it just sort of made sense. Like it, it wasn't like this complete alien. I don't understand this. It was still intuitive. It's still like maybe it's because you're young. Maybe I don't know. But it just made. It just worked. It just I understood it. Like the, it wasn't like the game didn't make any sense. This game still made absolute sense to you beyond just the Zelda nonsense. But um, no offense. <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> but yeah like. That you like you're saying going out into a field and and being able to walk anywhere there, just yeah okay you just understood it. It was it's maybe it's hard to explain, but it's yeah there was it was kind of intuitive still. At first, yeah, at first first it was a bit imposing at first. Um, this suddenly set free, but yeah, you you just you just dove in there and just got excited by the wonder and the way you could go, what you could do. Um, and the, yeah, I don't, I don't remember games implementing it so well, or it certainly didn't seem to have as much an effect. The day-night cycle, like when when it got to night, it was genuinely a bit creepy with flying bats around and skelly bobs coming out of the ground, and you felt you just didn't want to be out in the uh, the harsh world. You want to be like cooped up in your in your little cockerelly village or something. And I think it's was it the bit you were talking about. Was it like going around the castle? Were you trying to avoid the guards or something? Oh, I can't remember. I was. It was night time, and I was really close to the castle walls but I think there might have been a moat possibly right. but I, I just think I just had to be in a certain place at the right time I remember having to I, I didn't know where this was and my brother had to show me where I needed to be or I'm completely misremembering it but, uh, <laughs> but yeah I mean the best things about Eddie Zelda will probably be a lot of people will tell you Blakey will probably agree because Breath of the Wild uh, didn't really have them to same degree was the dungeons and the mm. dungeons in this game are probably some of the best. I mean, I like the water temple, and a lot of people were a bit frustrated by it, but I did like that. Um, but the best one I think was the forest temple, and everyone will probably remember it for the it was a bit weird, a bit spooky, like you had like twisty, like roundy hallways that twisted round and got a bit smaller, like Willy Wonka ish. <laughs> You'd got um, like the boss fight was Ganon coming out of the painting. Yeah. Uh, real, really creepy at the time. I always remember that one of my favourite boss fights is in any game. I had to look for coming out of the, the painting. Kind of reminded me a little bit of like the witches of the, the witches Roald Dahl's film. And just that that adventure, you didn't play as one link. You played as two. Like it was a small link, and it you travel forward in time, and you saw that everything had changed. And your adult link, and you're a bit stronger. You got the master sword. You feel more powerful. Uh, it was really empowering. Um, yeah, it's just. Just a, a fantastic one of the. It's my favourite Zelda. Um, I could throw some others in there if you asked me to do another list. There'd probably be another Zelda in there, but this is my favourite. Yeah, I was going to say, how does it? Because it's it's kind of it's not obviously the first Zelda, but it sort of feels like it was a lot of people's first, and a lot of people our generation at least. But um, it's the one that sort of stands out because of you know how important it was. But 
Yeah, so what, are, is there any that run it close? I mean, Breath of the Wild seems to be the one that might have overtaken it in people's minds. So does that? how does that compare for you? Uh, I'd have to let time stew on that one uh, and go back to it at some point. If you push me for an answer now, no, it doesn't. It's probably fourth. Mm. Uh, I'd, I'd still put A Link to the Past and Link's Awakening above that as my favourite Zelda's. Um, Wind Waker, for me, who's... I think wasn't a fat wasn't fan of the cell shaded. I was just oh, I was one of those. You were one I of those. It, you were one of those. I was one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Bring back realistic link. <laughs> Damn you! It's weird because people talk about like, you know oh you know it's so bad now with forums and all the social media and it's all ridiculous and it's, and they're right but that predates forums and oh, I think it predates forums maybe it doesn't but it certainly did for me and I remember people hating the cell shading on on Wind Waker but. But yeah, so I don't know how people knew people hated it. I guess maybe people actually writing letters into game magazines or something. But <laughs> but yeah, it um, it's the, yeah. I guess it being a bit different was what attracted me to it. it wasn't hate it. It was just something that was different. It wasn't what I, I like. Breath of the Wild's got a bit about it still. It's not quite what I'm after, but it's you know it, I still enjoy them all. It's the gameplay that really that counts. Yeah. Um, so your next game is also an N64 game. So I'm gonna just. Before before we, um, I say what it is. Is the N sixty four your favourite games console? I knew this question would come in, and yeah, without a doubt, I think not even just like the games and the time period and everything else that goes with it. I think it's the sexiest looking console as well. <laughs> <laughs> Them curves. Mm. <laughs> I I've never, I don't think I've ever heard anyone pick it as their favourite looking console before. No, it's real weird. Well, maybe about, I'm weird for thinking the curves are sexy. I don't know. What about the uh, Pikachu version? Is that a, is that like the best no, looking big, version? That's a big big turn off. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a question I can start adding to these. Is what's the best looking console? Or Sly can add it to his, I guess. <laughs> but yeah. So it, it was it simply. I mean, I know you've said kind of no, but just that was the console for you. It was the one that you said your own. It was yours. It was the right time, I guess, in terms of in terms of age. Yeah. Because it's not yeah, like you, you've. You've got all the stuff that, that follows this that we've picked from other consoles. Yeah, there was a lot of factors as to why. I, obviously, the time, the games that were on it, the, especially that appealed to me. Um, but the fact that since it was mine, um, I loved that machine and I cherished it. <laughs> and I took extra care of it. I even I did what, I did dust on it, so I even cut backing out of my wardrobe. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> so I could fit the cables through to keep it in my wardrobe, <laughs> to keep it nice and clean. <laughs> Um, and my brother used to, he had a little bit of a temper when he was younger and he used to smash pads. He used to get angry, go, smash them. But oh no, you did not smash my pad. I tried <laughs> in 64 pads. Yeah, I was very protective over that. Yeah, well, you wouldn't need to because they were, they just sort of stopped working properly on their own, didn't they? <laughs> they, got, they had a tendency to get a little bit crusty around the analog <laughs> stick, didn't they? <laughs> I was talking to someone about the analog stick last night, actually, cause, or Friday night, because it was a weird control because it wasn't uncomfortable and it wasn't impossible to use, but that analog stick had the, the shape of it was just peculiar. <laughs> like it was too narrow at the bottom for me, but it, like, it made sense, and when they were new and it still had a bit of resistance, it was pretty good to use, that analog stick. I mean, for the time, you, you could be picky. It's what, it was like, first real one uh, there. I mean, I know PlayStation improved upon it and made their own, but that's, that's, that's the tool you had, and that's all you knew. Um, 
got a little bit annoyed that you you might need a new one every six months, but depending on how much you played. But yeah, I used to, I used to have friends that come around and play with me. They got the crusty pad. You could have the crusty pad. Yeah, that was just part. Of, like again, it's probably something that doesn't happen as much nowadays. But yeah, it was part of growing up. Is you had a shit pad that was for when people came round. <laughs> yeah, and if they were lucky, it was like the old version of the proper pad. If they were unlucky, it was a third-party one that cost like a tenner. Yeah. I still allow to this day if I see him about looking a decent Nick Cal. I'll buy some just because the ones I've got that I, I tend to because I do break out my old consoles now and again. Yeah. But the, they do get a bit more more uh, wearing. Um, yeah, and there's only so many so many times you'll be able to get a decent quality one. That's it. Um, oh, onto the the which game it is, I guess. Um, so it's again another N64 classic and another game that would definitely be seen as being important, is Goldeneye. Yes. I know a particular phone member doesn't think so, but it, it's, it's, if you look around what was before, um, the, what Goldeneye was, I mean, not just on PC, the, the, it was the, it's one of the best movie titans. Oh, yeah. Really, I mean, even now. And it it changed the way you, you had to have a place. It wasn't just a mindless shooter just running around. But like a lot of things that you had that could be for it were like I call the key card generation where you, you, you tend to have levels where you, you, you can't go progress till you get your key card and there's probably a boss fight and some other enemy. They had the, the same structure, your dooms, your yeah. Wolfensteins, your Duke Nukem, all those kind of things. So you're saying this led to Call of Duty? No, uh, it, it definitely, it was one of them that it changed it up on how you could, what a first person shooter was. It didn't have to be that, it, it was more. What's the word like the level design? Uh, there were in the own little levels you could do it stealth, you yeah. could do it just full on action. The the big thing for me was the hit detection. Like, I used to make them dance, shoot them in the leg, ooh, ah, ooh, shoot them in the hand, you know, they, they reacted different. Yeah, um, going for the headshots was, was, was key, especially on the harder difficulties. There was different levels, different objectives to do within those harder difficulties, so they, they encourage replay. Um, plenty of unlockables, loads of characters, new. New levels, new missions, modes for multiplayer. And that was another big thing. I mean, for consoles, this was the one of the big daddies. This, this changed up that, yeah, there is an audience for shooters on consoles and they can work. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a couple of things that were important about it. The, one of the things that strike, always not always struck me, it's only occurred to me fairly recently, I guess, is you had a slight freedom of movement with it. So if you moved left, yeah, obviously you'd look left, but you could... It was like a not a dead zone, but like a, a small thing where you could, like you say, do the more precise aiming. And I would just sort of idle sometimes and just like slightly aim the gun without <laughs> the camera moving up and down. And that was yeah. something that even on PC, like you moved up on a PC on on a mouse. It, assuming you had a mouse back then, then it it would move up. Like it, there wasn't that circle of dead aim which you get in like the Wii was good for that in terms of when you played first person shooters. There, there was just this area before the camera moved and maybe it's something that died with second analog sticks and stuff like that but um but yeah and the the, the main thing the, the main reason i played it the main reason a lot of people have played it is it was four player and there was four ports on the controller uh, sorry on the console so you could you could have mm-hmm. four player split screen which was at that time a, something that was common and important like you had multiplayer in games that was local multiplayer and be it micro machines or whatever and then, so to have a, a first-person shooter do it was uh, unusual. I don't know that I remember another a, a game preceding GoldenEye that did it. Maybe I'm wrong, and that there was one that that came out, particularly on the N64. Yeah, but there were others that obviously Deathmatch. I think like uh, Doom, 
pretty sure I had it. Duke Nukem definitely had it. Did they have it on consoles? No, not con- mainly PC. Uh, that was the big thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, someone might prove me wrong, but on consoles, I don't think because like it was there was it was mainly LAN parties and things where they're doing like multiplayer. Yeah. Um, but split screen on console couldn't really handle it. Maybe two player, maybe some of the earlier ones. Um, but Goldeneye was the big one that was because it came with a console, like you said, with four ports. Yeah. It was made for multiplayer. You didn't have to buy an extra multi tap or anything, apart from the pads. But you could just bring get your mate to bring his pad round. Yeah. Um, and that that was that and Mario Kart sixty four was like the two like most played games purely because it was multiplayer and they were great fun. But yeah, so for first person shooter for multiplayer, I wanted like how it how it set up how it was played. The, you didn't have to just do straight up deathmatch. It was different modes. You could even like put your own mode like slappers only. Everybody's probably played that. Yeah, and exclude certain characters and and so on and so on. There was a we didn't like body armor. It was like you get people just hanging around body armor, so like disabled that or like a rule you can't pick up body armor. But what we had it on, which we played all the time, was uh, one shot kill. Like you, you just get shot by yeah. one shot, you're dead. There were no slapping. If there was any mines, if you threw them, then you were open game. If you didn't, you you couldn't shoot until you picked up a gun. My favorite guns probably the the SMG, and I like the Magnum. I mean, you you were saying about the dead zones with the like the like this before there was movement there was a lot especially this there was a lot of aim assist and I don't know if you ever noticed when you like you, especially in multiplayer stood just don't move just watch the gun twinge <laughs> it's like flicking to lock on to whoever's there yeah and if you if you do at certain points of the map uh, you could shoot them through floor <laughs> flooring because it's the game would take you to account there's a floor there you just lock on you and you fire and you shoot them straight through the floor <laughs> but only certain weapons did it like the magnum the assault rifle and I think the RCP now I know I know everything about this game. If if there were a, a pro scene back then that I knew about, I could have probably gone pro because I was <laughs> I knew everything about it. We played it loads. Uh, yeah, it's, it's again, it's a it's a weird game that we won't ever see the like again because GoldenEye or first person shooters have have moved on in in ways yeah. and GoldenEye just would not work now. We're just playing it for the first time now. I don't think it'd play anything like as well as as we talk no. about I mean, it. And, it's a fair comment that it's probably one of the games which, unlike like Mario Zelda, I think still play decent, still play well. This plays a bit slow and a bit, and it did even then like the frame rate was very noticeable. Any explosion going off? Yes, yeah. <laughs> I remember a forest level as well where you were running downhill. I think Grace Jones was was in that level, and it just been so foggy. Like, yeah, and I think they maybe use that in the game design of just kind of we need a narrative reason why to explain this, but it was simply just it was too wide an area for for the N sixty four to to load in. It was you know it was a problem the N sixty four had at the best of times, let alone on a big downhill section that where you you know you should be able to see quite a long way in the, in the distance. But yeah, it's the N sixty four was a a unique console. I guess a lot of consoles are. It's only nowadays that. They aren't, I guess. Moving on. Um, this is I now for me. Your next game, Streets of Rage Two, is the greatest game ever made. So I'm presuming this is actually number one in your list. But yeah, go ahead. You can say how great Streets of Rage Two is. Yeah, to put a number, that's put a number one. That'd be certainly one of the first ones to jump out. Yeah, of course. I mean, I've, like like platformers, this the side scrolling beat up back then were everywhere. They were doing another main thing, weren't they? There were obviously the arcade stuff, like like Turtle Did Time, yeah, yeah. Golden Axe, and then even had console. Remember Altered Beast? <laughs> Power up. <laughs> X-Men Arcade, Firefight, Double Dragon, this loads of, just, I've got them all still in my loft somewhere. 
Um, and I loved them. I loved them. And but Streets of Rage was the one that I don't know. It really sang to me. I think a large part of that was the music. That music is fantastic. It's, yeah, it's it's probably the greatest game soundtrack ever recorded. I don't know if you'd yeah. say it was recorded ever put onto a chip. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, the the combat. Like, I remember the first one. That was pretty good. Uh, it, it felt a bit more zoomed out. Like the sprites were a bit smaller. Um, these specials were like cars that came in and launched in a, a special attack. Yeah, um, bit like like Goldeneye. I'd like you'd push your special and it'd cut to like something coming in and everybody would freeze and it'd do an attack and then they'd all drop dead or whatever. But I like the second one for the fact it removed that and it made it more. You know, it, it helped the flow. It was it was a special attack they did in the motion. Yeah, it was more akin to something like a, a Street Fighter than what had gone before because yeah, everything that went before was screen wiping. Like every enemy on screen takes damage or dies, and be yeah. it Shinobi, be it Golden Axe. Um, I was trying to think of another one that would would do it. That I, I had one in my head that was like, yeah, that's a really good example of this because it's you don't sort of factor in. But yeah, it's it's yeah, that was how things were done at the time, and and so to bring it in and have no, it's just another move in your arsenal. In fact, it was two new like two moves in your arsenal because it was forward and A and just A in general and. It was kind of there when you wanted it or when you needed it, but it had a cost. I think the special, the special, if you stood still, used used up your health. Uh, if you if you push forward in the special, it didn't attack. I think did it already use health when you you hit them? No, if, yeah. If it was fully charged and you just pressed A, you didn't take any damage. Yeah. Unless you did forward and A, and then it would still. I think that was it. Yeah. Um, so Axel's was like a spinning dragon, dragon spin. Yeah. But if you push forward and it was like a combo punch and uppercut. And some of them were so... There was an imbalance to them where it's like there was characters I quite liked. Like, I I liked Max. Max is my favourite. Yeah, but Max, (laughs) like, his super of just, like, a shoulder barge, unless the enemy was blocking, didn't do anything like enough damage compared to Axel's 100-hand combo, whatever it was called, where he just does, like, he does, like, half a health bar of damage with that. And Blaze's could be quite useful if it landed properly but skates was just a like again just a drill attack that just hit once and that was it it was yeah there was a weird balancing things axel's grand upper which not a special but not. <laughs> i i always just when he does his when he talks when he does it i always think he said raise the power <laughs> <laughs> i still don't know if it's ground upper or grand upper because no it's raise the power <laughs> oh yeah of course yeah <laughs> yeah it's it, Again, like you had four unique characters. I mean, all right, Axel was a bit uh, a blonde, white t-shirted American guy. That's every video game at the time. Um, yeah, Blaze it was just the woman. But yeah, then you had like a kid that was on roller skates, which is the most nineties Sega thing, uh, <laughs> and a wrestler. And like, yeah, they just it was a colourful game. It had really good enemies, and yeah, they were ripoffs of Blanker and ultimate warrior and alien and stuff but it just was it just yeah it was just a a pinnacle of 90s played so well yeah i love i love backs because you say that my favorite combo was to like punch like well you didn't even do a punch you did a chop like chop chop grab him stick a couple of headbutts in and then snap the neck yeah that just took off so much you could kill a boss probably with that combo if you could get behind him as well and do the (laughs) atomic drop on him oh yeah yeah I used to like them little buggers that, that tend to throw you. Because you have to like go down a bit further down from them. And then as you're coming up, like keep moving back. So they keep flipping around. Then you'll, you'll grab them on the back. I used to love back breaking them little shit. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's the next Streets of Rage that they're doing, that Streets of Rage 4. The reason so many people have like raised an eyebrow at it and stuff and they're a bit suspicious of it and not, you know, there is sort of excitement for it, but most people just seem wary of it is because Streets of Rage 2 is so adored. Yeah. Where it's actually the thought of a sequel to Streets of Rage 3 being better than Streets of Rage 3. Yeah, I could see that. I could absolutely see that. But Yeah, yeah. It does, yeah, you, do, you look at it, it's like a lot of games when you look when they're getting remade, brought up to current, you think, is it going to be as good as I remember? I mean, it'd be a simple thing to actually make. It's not like you're talking about another 3D adventure game. It's only a 2D beta book, but I don't know. From what I've seen, the little I've seen, I'm a bit cautious. I'm yeah. glad it's been made. Maybe, hopefully, it'll be, if it is rubbish, somebody will spare somebody on. Did you ever play the Streets of Rage, like, I forgot what it's called, remake, Streets of Rage, the PC that... Yeah. Somebody just used, you know, just created their own. Yeah, you end up on like roofs and stuff like that. Yeah. Branching paths. It was good. Yeah, it was good. It was good. I think I've still got it on my hard drive somewhere. Or it's on an old hard drive in a box somewhere. I've no See, idea. They need to get someone like that. Like like they got Christian Whiter to make the Sonic game. Yeah. They need to get someone like that to just make the Streets of Rage. Just often the fans are the best ones to make these. Hmm. Yeah, they understand why that worked rather than, you know, they can pick and choose. They're not just taking the that idea and using it or... Or whatever they know what mm. you know how people use the mechanics and they can lean into that anyway we should probably move on because that's like 10 minutes on. it deserves it but yeah um so your next game is again another one that i think if you had if you had to say to someone pick the 10 best games ever made not your favorite critically you need to think what are the 10 best games i think resident evil 4 gets on there yeah i do as well it honestly like Pioneered. I know it was like one well, of the early, like the the view, the shift of viewpoint, not just Resident Evil, but for third person action games with the, the the shift like over the shoulder view for yeah. the for the shots. Well, um, Cliff Blazinski came out and said Gears of War happened as a reaction to Resident Evil Four. Yeah, yeah, I remember that being one of the major things. That's why I kind of like Gears of War as well, just for that, just for the viewpoint. I mean, it's a good game, um, but that it does lend well into that action that you can see a bit more around as you're running. But when you get into the gritty shooting, you're a bit more focused. Yeah. It, um, Again, like I think Dead Space was a spiritual success, so that was similar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Resi 4, I mean, I'm a big Resi fan. Maybe maybe more so than Nag, I don't know. I, I think that's. <laughs> I think that's. A, but I know Nag loves him as well. But he, um, he weirdly. Do, it's Resident Evil 4 he doesn't like, isn't it? Yeah, I think I remember him saying that. I might have just forgotten that. I'm, you know, I, didn't, I didn't want to accept that. Um, but so. <laughs> but. Because. Um, the first one's evil. I always considered it was different to the rest. A bit more focused on the on the horror, less on the action. I think as it went on, it got a bit more on the like you had a bit more like weapons and ammo to a bit more shooting involved, yeah. more action, yeah. and up the jump scares a bit. But like, because two's my favourite, one on Resi Four. Cause, like, see, if you asked me to another list, I'd chuck Resi Two in there. It's just they're too easy. I could swap, but I think Resi Four gets it for it was one of them that. Kind of sick of the true tr- tried and tested formula, Resi and how it was going. Let's, let's just shake it up a bit. Yeah, people were talking about how that franchise needed to change. Yeah, because the controls. Had, I mean, they'd started to age around Resident Evil Two as it was, but to do Resident Evil Three and um, remake and Zero and Code Veronica and you know they they people had really started to criticise that series. Yeah, that's it. It'd been tried and other stuff like Dino Crisis and other games that had yeah. been about a bit. So it was like, what, what, what can we do? And I was, because I'm still an advocate of 
that old control scheme. If if they did like a 15, 20 quid pound like Resident Evil that was download only that played like old reses, I'd be fine with that as a series, you know, going alongside these others because I did like that. I still think it has a little place, but I, I, when they were changing it up, I thought, how are you going to do this? How is it going to just be like some of the generic action game? But they did they did it spot on. Like they, they changed the shuffling zombies to like, I forgot the call them. Um, Ganados, was it? Yeah, sort of like that. So they move faster. They had a bit more about them, and because of that, they changed up, which influenced the other. They changed up that your combat. So they, you, you had a bit more movement. Obviously, the 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 third the change in in like more control of the camera and the third person action. So it allowed you to be more precise, and some context sensitive actions. So like, which I don't know what a lot of people do at first. Um, like you shoot them in the knee and make them stagger. You could run up and give them a swift kick. But if you got them to the knees, you could do a suplex, which which was key on somebody because you, you pop the head and that'd yeah. kill them. And save ammo as well. Like you got and save. Yeah. As you got further in, it was like important to start roundhouse kicking enemies and stuff like that. Oh, and the combat though, but oh, did you, like the, the the kind of weapons you had, they each had a tool and a purpose, and so you you'd got your your hand cannon, you got your shotgun for like dispersing like groups up. Or I loved that. Um, it was like a dart mine launcher. You fire it if you hit him, or just into the ground, and it detonate. Good for crowd control again, mm. on, and just blocking areas off. It was just, it was just so much fun that you could level, level your weapons up yeah. and improve them. They got better stats. You meet your vendor throughout throughout the game, and like you're excited to see him. Like, oh, what can I afford now? What can I get now? Um, just even something like mundane, like your inventory management. That was always like a little mini game in itself in Zelda, trying to like fit everything in what you could carry and leave a bit of space for anything you might find. In that, uh, that expand as well because you could expand that. <laughs> yeah, expanding your your and you would start mixing health potions in a way that was like, oh, I've got two green leaves and a red, but I, I can't, you know, I I need to make, I need to combine these, but I need to combine them in a way to maximize space and i've got full health at the minute and i've got a spray so maybe i should put you know rather than make one really powerful one i should make two lower level ones because then i can use them quickly and like yeah it, it it's a weird like there was quite a lot going on it's yeah talking about it again is like i've not been ready to play i don't need to play resident evil 4 ever again i don't think anyone does it's a brilliant game but we've all played it multiple times but I kind of feel like, yeah, maybe I'm ready. Maybe I'm ready to play it again. It's been a while. I'd, def- I'd definitely play it again. It's one of the games that I think still stands up. It's, it's probably better than some action games released today. I think it still holds up. I think the Wii version was the best. I think that's one of the things that validated the the Wii motion yeah. on you know playing. Like, just shooting the axes that they threw at you out of the sky. Like, Ting! <laughs> oh, no, you don't, mister. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, because I did one of these with someone, and they specifically said, I know you're going to say the Wii version is the best, but it is not. <laughs> and I was like, no, it, it is, but I'm, you know, you're the guest, so I'm, I'm going to stay quiet. But no, you're right, yeah, the Wii version. I'd probably rather play that as much as maybe I should play like the PC version or one of the HD ones or something. Um, I think the Wii version might be the one I'd go back to. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to use the most silly boat. You could wave it to do, to slash your knife. You didn't have yeah. to use that. It was mainly just the the folk. You got a bit more focused with uh, shooting. Yeah, like you said, picking out items, taking headshots, taking axes, yeah. stuff like that. It was it really expanded. It just was. It was a worthwhile port. It did something. Um, it flowed a little better, I think. Yeah, it actually, in truth, the Wii version feels a lot easier than it maybe should be just because you had this extra control and the game didn't really account for it. But, um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a better playing game on the Wii than 
any other version. I love a game as well that a Dead Space did it that you you ain't got enough resources to or, or to level up everything, and you might think, oh man, level this to see what how this affects things. So you want to do a second playthrough and, and level everything else up to max. Yeah, particularly true with the pistols because there was a few different types and. Like I think it was one of them. It was one of the earlier ones. I ended up just that seemed to be the better one. Like the yeah, the high yeah. end of that was better than the the one that started off I as a better it, gun. It was the um the old six shooter Magnum that you got first. And then later on you got the the Desert Eagle, the Deagle yeah. like clip one. Um, and you'd think that'd be the best, but fully maxed up. It was the old six shooter that was the more powerful. He had one shot one of those big ogre dudes fully maxed out. Yeah, it's yeah, it's. Again, it's just had. It's a game with personality. It's a game that there's reasons beyond like stuff we forget, but that's why it sort of sticks into your mind and um, embeds itself in you as a favourite. It's the stuff, you know. Weirdly, it's the stuff you forget about. Yeah, there's. A, it's just I just enjoyed the gunplay and the the setup, the scenarios. How how are you going to get around this? What weapon loadout are you going to best to to take them out to? to survive this this onslaught. It was just so good. And it, you think it would end, like, I thought it was going to end with that like, little Napoleon guy got killed. <laughs> but no, it's like about halfway, two-thirds of the way through the game. It's like, there's a little more after that. It was a good length as well. So your your next game is another, I guess another Nintendo classic, and a game I think should belong on a list of the best games. is Metroid Prime. Let's have a little applause for Retro. <laughs> <laughs> If anyone, because this it's probably why it took so long to actually get made. Because how are you going to do a, a Metroid in three D? Like they, they nailed Zelda, they nailed Mario. How are you going to do a Metroid? How's that going to work? And what? Whenever when I heard it was a first person, I mean, first person is like my favourite genre probably. And I thought, what? Really? I don't get that. But when I played it and how the oh god, I mean, it came out. I think it was a year after Halo, and everyone was harping on about Halo. And I should be amongst them, but being a first-person shooter fan. But I preferred Metroid. I, I was like, why is Metroid not getting all this praise and love? Just for what it... Like, just the little touches. Like, do you remember the visor? Like, if he, he actually felt like he was in a helmet. Yeah. Like, her muffled breathing when she was getting hurt and stuff. And she yeah. caught it in the light. You could see a reflection of her face. Yeah, if you charged the power shot you could, Yeah, like, yeah. While it was fully lit, you could just see... Or maybe it was as you let go of it, you could just see a flash that showed her eyes and stuff like that. It was... Yeah, it there was loads of good little touches to it. Also, it was I remember it coming out and having again. It's something that gets lost now, but it's because um, it is a first-person shooter, and what we think of as first-person shooters now, no one would bat an eyelid at the difference between a Destiny and a, a Doom or a Wolfenstein or something. But like, it was a game. People, I remember magazines having to be quite explicit. This is an adventure game. Yeah, first-person action adventure. It's not a first-person shooter. Yeah, what you're about, but. I could kind of see where they were coming from when I was playing it, how it played, but it was more because it was you couldn't have that kind of frenetic action in a standard like first, but you just won't be that accurate and move be able to move as fluid and as fast as you were doing. So it was the, it was important you had that lock on and yeah. you're bashing that A button as far as fast as you could, that you you just bouncing side to side using your boosts and stuff, and it was great fun. Yeah, how how they nailed the combat, the tone of it as well is is was unusual. Just this very quiet. I talked about this with someone else, so I apologize if I'm repeating something that's already on a podcast. But yeah, it had this empty space, sort of ethereal. I guess maybe ethereal is the wrong word, but yeah, it wasn't big explode. I mean, it had them, but it it wasn't it wasn't aliens. It was more. Oh man, do you know what? I I think word for word, I said this on another podcast. So I'm just not going to say. It. I'm just going to cut it. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, not correct. Leave it in. These, these little blips make us human. Um, yeah, it, they nailed that sense of what Metroidvania is with the exploration yeah. and backtracking and using your abilities to get to new places and secrets and next power-ups. The atmosphere, the mood, like you say, the... They just nailed that like hostile alien world, and you're on your own, and each area is different, and with different weird little creatures and things. It was just a pleasure to play and be immersed in. Yeah, it's it's why I think people Metroid Prime is the reason people are, are hyped for the idea of Metroid Four or, or whatever that people have been asking for it for so long is because Prime was so important. I don't know that people were that asked about. Like, I think. If there hadn't been one on the GameCube era, I don't think people would be pining for Super Metroid. Not that I think it's a bad game or people don't like it or anything like that, but it's because that's just set this high bar again that it's like, all right, you need to go and do this again. Whereas if they just carried on making Metroid games, people, they would have just plodded on, I think. Um, Another M and stuff like that, it's like, no, this is the standard for Metroid. Is You need to go and you need to go and do it right. And that's why people, yeah. like the expectation for it is, is maybe why they've not done it is how do you live up to it? Yeah, there's there's always that like with like would Half Life ever get made? The expectation and can it live up to the ex- those expectations? I think like if you look at the indie indie scene, it's just a wash with Metroidvania clones, yeah. Metroidvania type games. If they carried on, if they made another one of those, it just kind of get lost. I think like you say its home is what what retro did. Yeah. Um, well, case in point, the Metroid 3DS game that came out last year is, is a really good Metroid game. I know yeah. it's a, a remake, but it's, it's it's legitimately good. It's a really good game. No one gave a shit, but like no one played it. It's but it's it's a properly good Metroidvania. If you know if that's what you want, and it plays like Metroid, it's it is Metroid. Um, just like you say, just no one, no one's going to bat an eyelid at that anymore. So your your next game, your penultimate game, I guess is a game that I don't think anyone else has put on the list. And I don't mean that as a criticism because, and I'm preempting this a bit, that... What's this? Is that people, are, because of what's gone on since, people aren't giving this game the credit it deserves. <laughs> oh my God, I think I know what it is. Yeah. yeah, Duke Nukem 3D, or for you, Duke Nukem 64. I played 3D on on, on the um, I forgot platform it was, but and it, it had more of that what people turn an eyebrow up to these days yeah um the, the crass crudeness and sexism we had more of that but the 64 that was pretty much all ripped out apart from a scene <laughs> of one of the levels i didn't realize that and I, that wasn't what that intro was about i now i'm i'm turned against it <laughs> well all right okay. yeah if, you, if i can't objectify women in a duke nukem game then what is the point <laughs> they still had, i think they had one bit where you could chuck money at a a strip, I think it was like the starting level or later level. Yeah. But I don't think that that wasn't what Duke Nukem was about. Uh, why I chose it, even though I like a bit of bit of naughtiness. Um, it was like I I'd say it was like the king of the key card era. Was the level design in in that at that particular time was fantastic. So much so that they could just completely change the landscape when you hit a button and it detonated and something exploded. Yeah. And the whole stage just changed and you're like, whoa, what the, where am I now? And just the sense of adventure. There's like lots of secrets everywhere and hidden things to find. The co-op, me and my brother played that for hours and he'd, he'd find like this this secret mission and be like, oh, I found this, let's punch this, let's go here. Even though we've played through these levels before. Yeah, we, similar, we um, used to play it, uh, me and my brother and my sister as well. Like Not in co-op, I think we had it on the, the PC, but... Um, yeah, it would be once you, you you know you went into the the room where the computer was and one of the others was playing it. You'd be like, oh yeah, shit, go there, 
shoot that like hammer around there i don't know exactly where it was but i managed to get that door to open it's something here like a switch or something like that. and then they do the same for you when they you know when you were on a level that they're like, oh you've just missed a secret go back and you know it's a yeah it had that which obviously like, doom did but yeah it's also like the humor of it i'm not saying it was all hilarious or anything but a lot of these games just didn't have any humor to them and but duke well, duke did and some of it was pretty good well this is it i mean even even like going past half-life you think about where was the first probably master chief was the first iconic actual first person shooter character anyone can remember i mean there's gordon freeman but he never said anything he wasn't really it was more about the story going on around him it was good narratively those games but like duke had a personality admittedly some people might, might rub, rub some people up the wrong way but at least he had one and I liked it. It was like a throwback to the um, old action films and cliches and movies I used yeah. to watch. Well, I always took it as it being a parody of it. I mean, like it references mm. Evil Dead 2 in there and, and stuff. And I assumed that and was... They live. The... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I assumed that was the point is that it was this homage, a jokey piss take homage. Like not nasty. It wasn't making fun of them, but it, it, it was done with a wink. It knew what it was rather yeah. than... I think it became more gratuitous and more po-faced in its, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. I don't want to say misogyny because maybe, but I don't know that that's necessarily what it's about. But it, like, it lost the wink. It started to be serious in like, oh yeah, no, this is what Duke is rather than making fun of it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of where Forever Fell Down as well as being a, <laughs> well, we all know about the development hell of that one. But if I think there's a place for that kind of humour still, Wolfenstein has it. He's got that yeah. that cheeky humour, you know. Just the, the scenes in that that I think you know were no worse than what were in Duke Nukem. Um, yeah, precisely. Yeah, and if if a game like Doom can come along, which essentially play like you know those old games did, and people like loved Doom since 2016, didn't they? Just you've got to, you've got to it, there's a market there for it. I think you just you just got to do it right. It's the difference between, like you say, something like Doom, where when something ridiculously violent happens in Doom, you're supposed to laugh at it. You're supposed to shake your head and laugh in modern Doom rather than turn around and high-five your bro. Like, yeah. That's the difference, and I think that's what got lost, and it's what people maybe will be... I think our generation understands what Junior 3D was, that maybe people coming to it now don't understand that. No, it, it it's coming out at the end of the 80s, and early nineties uh, action hero stuff. It it was done with a wink. It was you know done with humor rather than just like I don't know. It wasn't nasty as much as yeah. You did objectify women, but it you know it, I don't think it meant it quite as mean as it. Some of its uh, some of the homages you see to it nowadays. Yeah, like you see, people were bringing up the strip bars and stuff, but they're still relevant in, like, probably they're in Red Dead. I've not even been to any, but yeah. the GTAs and stuff, they're still around. That that in and of itself doesn't mean it's, it's, the game should be made for, for those kind of things, but it should be updated. I do agree it should be updated and made a bit smarter, a bit cleaner, but I think it should still have that cheekiness, that wink. That, well, I still like, like, the Expendable films, if you like, you know, they've got that, that, that throwback and, yeah, I think there's room for it. You look at first-person shooters at the minute. Yeah, it, it, it should be said as well. Like it, it was a, a good fun game. Like the there were certain guns that were really good fun to use, and um, there was one. It's not some of the guns were quite gimmicky, which I guess is something that came out of that era. Um, so you could like <laughs> shrink, shrink ray, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. freezing stuff, I think, and then you could kick them. Yeah, um, yeah. But also, you had like pipes that you could shoot in 
certain areas that would make things explode and you could use the environment a bit and you had like a machine gun that was really good or like a mini rocket launch, like a rapid fire rocket launcher that fired these small missiles and stuff it's also the game this is a personal thing that I th- you wouldn't have experienced it but if you had a Saturn and you had Duke Nukem and Quake who had a Saturn? <laughs> uh, me, me I, who had a Saturn? people, people who liked amazing fighting games and some of Sega's greatest ever work, Knights, for example, brilliant Sonic R, classic. But but you had this game. Just if you, there was another way of doing it, which was to the reason why I brought it up with Duke Nukem is if you smashed all the toilets, every single toilet in the game, if you kicked it, <laughs> you unlocked this game called Death Tank, and it's this multiplayer kind of wormsish. Uh, Scorched Earth, I think, is the the game that it's based on. It's just a fantastic party game, brilliant, brilliant game. I don't know why it was in Duke Nukem. In particular, but yeah, that was what I always associated with it. Like Duke, for various reasons, on PC and Saturn is a, a game I really enjoyed. As much as I preferred Quake to it and Doom and and so on and so on, mm. it's a it is a better game than people give it credit for. Yeah, unfortunately, we it, some things just um, take more of a, of a front running when people are thinking about this game rather than giving it its credit for what it actually, how it played, and the things it did, and how enjoyable it was. But which. Is probably applicable to your top game, but I'm going to leave that for now. And as I usually do, ask you about your honourable mentions. Uh, honourable mentions? Oh, Resi 2, like we, we, we said. Dead, what are the, Dead Space 2, probably. Um, Mass Effect 2, trying to throw some recent ones in there for you. I mean, GTA 5, I've, I've really liked that game. That's one of my favourite GTAs. Yeah. Uh, what's the, all right, what's the game from the last, say, two years? Not so post GTA. Post GTA Five, last anything last two years. Yeah, anything that you would pick from the last couple of years that would get anywhere near a top ten. First, first problem with that is trying to remember. <laughs> <laughs> Without looking at a list of what's been released, uh, I think again, like in time set, I think Bloodborne. I think that might have been in the last couple, maybe but recent anyway. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to throw it in there. Destiny, probably. Wow, I've got to let time again sync for that, and it has its problems, but yep. I, I think, I think the the poor thing. It's like it started a a scene where that that was like exclusive to your like your asymmetric top down, like your Diablo types and, and torch wind, torch light, whatever it's called. And my brother plays them all. He's played. I, I tried playing them with him. I just couldn't get into them. And mm. and obviously this stuff like WoW and things like that. But it's now this and along with um, that free to play one. Sly likes it as well. Oh, Warframe. That's it. I've just erased it from my mind because I'm sick of people bringing that up. But <laughs> um, those two, like, I've kicked it onto like this, like like smaller, smaller, like looter, like I don't want to say MMO. It's not massive, but MMO light kind of thing. Yeah. Um, this social online sh- shooters, and I, th- I think because it was like breaking some ground, trying to establish how that'd work, and the raids and and the whole how those games work. It's not about the story. You don't play the story on Diablo. You, Warframe or whatever they're not they're not games for that you play them to get to a, a starting point for the end game grind to, to get the loot to try out the harder activities to work out tactics with your friends just have fun shooting stuff and getting better weapons and just carrying that on and I think it's still now I think one of the like the better ones out there so it's, it's like even after the divisions come out and I think let's see where the ground lies but at least they're being made and it's now like I'm excited that I've got these options available to me this this new like genre, if you like, of game that wasn't there before. Okay, so your final game is uh, again another game that I think is an absolute classic and really important. 
is Half-Life 2. Yeah. Um, I mean, this one's pretty personal. You might say that maybe Half-Life had more of an impact than 2. I know Halo come out and that pushed pushed the genre narratively. But I just think Half-Life 2's a bit smarter about it. I, I think it's atmosphere and it's the way it interacts with like the dialogue and things. You know, Halo's a bit hammy. Then, you know, Half-Life 2's a bit, a bit more... I don't know. It's, it, just the, when you, I played through it recently just because I, I can always go back to these some of these favourite games on my list. And it, I think it still plays great now. Mm. Uh, largely down to the... Uh, the the physics like the physics engine the that source engine that the first time a game like the gravity gun is probably one of the best guns or like environment changes um, in first person shooters it's still fantastic fun now there's a bit where, <laughs> where you just be chased by these like little arachnid things and I've run out of ammo uh, and I'm just picking up benches and boxes are just chucking at them yeah <laughs> keep them away just trying to damage them enough to get them like that. That's just that kind of fun that you can have in that game. I can't remember yeah. if it's... I think it's the end of Half-Life 2, not Episode 1, where they give you a, like an overcharged gravity gun <laughs> and you're picking people up and flinging them around. It's, it's, yeah, just the ragdoll physics and they're just flinging them out and yeah. just launching them at people. Yeah. But you've just the the use of puzzles and the physics for, for puzzles. Um, both Half-Life and Half-Life 2, like it's something that, again, it didn't, I didn't really pick up on at the time. But it's just a continuous thing. It's not you did this level well done. Now you're in the next yes. level. It it's just like yeah, there was loading. It's not like there was no loading in between. But um, but yeah, it does feel like a seamless world, a journey all the way through it. Anyone will just big up Halo whenever you talk about Half Life Two and what it's done with things. But I see Half Half Life is like the start of like your narrative driven kind of first person shooter, uh, like what it did and how it presented itself. And not the level structures and, and just this story, you're trying to get through this facility and things and you're coming across other people just happening about and the dialogue in it again and stuff. I just think Half-Life 2 did it better. That's why I, that's in my favour and not Half-Life. Yeah, and it does the creepy stuff like Ravenholm and it, the way it bigged it up. Yes. And mm. like it's like, yeah, we don't we don't go to Ravenholm. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I've got to go to Ravenholm. Oh, shit. And it felt... Everyone creepy. knows that, don't they? Yeah, it's like they managed to do the, the horror level without... It specifically being like level five is the horror level. It's like, <laughs> yeah, and then like we don't go to Raven home. The the towns and the cities, and then you get these like the swamp area and stuff. Like I'm not saying it's not its problems, particularly the the waterways and stuff can be a, a bit long, a bit you know, yeah. The, the car journeys and stuff could the vehicle sections and that yeah yeah. But it's still the variety in that game. Some uh, of the weapons. Do you remember the homing? Well, it wasn't homing. It was a trace rocket launcher, which you could already really do on PC just because of like your ease of aiming. Mm. But you'd fire the rocket and it'd follow where your pointer is, and you could like swing it round behind, <laughs> avoid objects and stuff, and hit the like the big flying ships that were that attack you sometimes. Yeah, it was a great rocket launcher. There, I forgot all about that until I played it again. I think it was just the basics of the crowbar and the shotgun and, and stuff yeah, like. Yeah. It, it was a good playing game as much as it's important like, for the other stuff it does it still played well you pick up like them saw blades with a gravity gun and they were like like dangerous weapon they cleave yeah. enemies in half and stuff yeah again Ravenholm in particular was when you got to yeah. use that and yeah yeah just flinging stuff about uh, and yeah it was it was a great game oh it leveled up the enemies like everyone remembers the head crabs and the little pests that they are but those black head crabs yeah you ran in fear because it wasn't that I would 
dangerous to themselves were. So when they hit you, they put you to one health, and yeah. anything else touched you, you were dead. You like you as soon as you saw one, you were like scrabbling about in this little room where you're in or whatever, just trying to avoid it and yeah. just whack it with a crowbar. It's, it's like it's the level one enemy all of a sudden becomes ultra dangerous to you, and you're like, shit, <laughs> yeah. I need to get out. Like I just need to leg it and at least get myself some distance so I can take a shot at this thing because. And they screeched in a way that was different from. Um, yeah. Thing. I remember there's a section again. It's the end of Ravenholm, I think, where loads of them keep coming up a roof. Yeah. And you think you're done, and then there's another scream, and you're just like, ah, oh, shit. Um, yeah. It, it. The environmental storytelling that game, the the actual storytelling, the way it's, it's done with characters rather than text and things, it's. You do sort of feel a bit like you were saying before with Gordon Freeman not feeling necessarily like his own character because he doesn't speak. So you do feel just a, like a witness to the, the world. That's it. It's like the same with Link or other characters that don't speak. You're kind of... It's it's not to pull you out of the immersion. If you're playing as someone else and they're talking, you always know you're playing as them. Yeah. Rather than you kind of being, if you know what I mean, kind of being there, you're like just witnessing. But yeah. But like Alex was, I think, was really good. Yeah, I was going to say, it's no surprise that when you talk about Half-Life 2, which I mean, you've just done it, is you end up talking about Alex Vance as being a great yeah. character rather than Gordon Freeman because Alex is actually well it's who you spend most of the time with and she's the one who has the personality so and it's not like she's got this wacky personality she's fairly tame it's just that she's the one who is essentially living it rather than just watching it happen yeah and the sense of ai companions like that it has like one of them's a weapon like they're an enemy at the start those arachnid things but then you get like one of the mother's eggs or something i don't know and you squeeze that and it it makes that sound and then you can control them and throw it where you want them to go and attack stuff or there's that Alex's companion, that robot. Yeah, is it dog thing? Dog, yeah. Just um, it's just mem- memorable characters that I remember that interact with me and, and come with me on missions and stuff and do things. It's also that it's that bridge between old, old and modern first-person shooters, and maybe that's not quite as simple as it was because obviously they've changed again. But like you were saying about the weapons, those kind of weapons, you think of like the Turok weapons and Quake and Doom. Half-Life and Half-Life 2 had examples of those where they're more fantasy, not fantasies in like sword and sorcery, but nonsense weapons rather than, it's not just like, yeah, this is a particularly good rocket launcher because it's a great rocket launcher, but it had that as well. It had shotguns and it had pistols and it had, you know, but it also had, like you say, more gimmicky, not so gimmicky, but alien stuff. So yeah. It's, it's that, the, yeah, the, the more nonsense stuff of the 90s compared to the more sort of serious stuff of Call of Duty and Battlefield. Well, you, you'll, you'll probably find some of my favourites are the old... I call them arcade FPSs just because yeah. of the... You've got the, the tropes of picking up health and body armour or variation of... You've got a weapon wheel or weapon select. You carry all these weapons, which you physically couldn't be able to do, uh, but you've just got that selection which opens up gameplay elements. You know, just fun. Um it's something that I, I, I attribute to Halo that started off this healing overshield, healing health, yeah. carrying two weapons. They weren't. I didn't mind them, but it seemed to be in every first-person shooter after that, and I was like, oh, damn you, Halo. So that's, where, <laughs> that's the reason why I, I, I swung to games more like Half-Life or Bioshock or things that are a bit more fanciful uh, in, in the designs and things that you've got. I like the more action-oriented or, or play. I don't like hiding behind some health regenerates. I like to think about and be accurate what I'm doing. And Yeah, it's yeah. I think in some ways, I, I, I always I 
that was where I was as well. I, I felt like that. I preferred the old style stuff. What I've found since is there's certain games that do take that old style, but they they haven't. They've sort of forgotten to get rid of all the other modern takes on the you know the genre and the level structure and the enemy types and how how combat works and stuff. So you end up with this either very easy or very difficult combat because it's not balanced properly. I thought a perfect example recently when I played uh, Doom, pretty close together, Doom 2016 and, and Wolfenstein. Yeah, Doom's a game. You can see it's designed around that fast frenetic combat, picking up armor and body armor and power ups and things. Because it, if you're running out of one, there's something you can do to quickly get some of the other. You can like do those CQC things to get some health back or whatever it is, and, and another attack to get some ammo drops. And yeah. whereas Wolfenstein didn't really flow that well, I felt it wasn't as clever about it. There's certainly points in Wolfenstein too where you'd be better off with regenerating health, yeah, than having to get out of cover and pick up health and armor because it's just a particularly difficult point there's um yeah. i don't know that many people played it but resistance 3 is basically a, a reimagining of halo 2 the journey you take on halo 2 not halo 2 sorry um half-life 2 it's very very half-life 2 and that's got health pickups in an era where you didn't have health pickups and that doesn't work it's like it's not a terrible game but again there's just points where it just becomes wave of enemies and, and stuff and it's like yeah but i've already picked up the health so i can't I can't do anything. You're not dropping more health for me, so I'm dead because I, I took damage on the first two waves, and now I've got another three to go. I I can't beat this. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what separates good game designers and developers from poor ones, I suppose. Is knowing what you're trying to, what you're aiming for. Now, it's not that these games can't work, or these games are outdated. It's that you're just not designing it right. Yeah, I think both can work. I'm not saying don't have. Either or, I'd like a selection, please. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for joining me. Uh, I hope that over the the course of your life, there are more games added to this list. That it knocks some stuff off, and you've got new favourite games. That's why I hope for all of us. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll happen. But maybe Red Dead. Maybe. <laughs> um, I think it's it's obviously it's harder to do as you get older. Stuff more incremental and. You're more familiar with stuff, so it just it's just harder to happen. But you know, it'd be nice if it did. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining me. And um, with any with any luck, there will be another one of these next month. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Ben. See you later, old losers. <laughs>